as a firefighter, you're looking at the the six feet that are right around you. And then as you grow up, you begin to broaden that perspective. And you know, you hear people talk about the 30,000 foot view. Yeah. You know, you begin to elevate your perspective and you realize that there are way more stakeholders that are affected by your individual actions as you grow up in the organization. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are mine and those of the guest. In episode 41, we are doing a cross post with the Make the Difference Podcast. This is something that was recorded approximately nine months ago uh, with my brother over there, Brandon Mayone, and a good pal of ours, Brian Parks. Uh, we talked about leadership. We talked about education. We talked about the application of those things in the fire service. But this is something that can be that transcends the fire service and can go into any sphere of work or family life or adventure. So sit down, give it a listen. I hope you enjoy. All right. Two friends of mine, Rain Gray and Brian Parks. They are both public safety members. Uh, Brian Parks is a retired deputy chief. Um, and Rain Gray is an it's currently a, a captain, but on the battalion chief's list, um, acting out of class some days, which means he works as a chief, but not in that official role. Uh, he's hoping to make the next jump. Great guys. Today's episode will be focused a lot on um, leadership, um, why education is important, because the three of us have um, master's degrees from the Harvard of the South. And um, it's an MPSLA, which I think stands for a master's in public safety and leadership administration. Um, more focused towards fire. Um, so today's episode will again talk about the importance of education and building a team and what that does for you and a bunch of other stuff. So here we go with Rain Gray and Brian Park. All right, today we have two public safety uh, gentlemen. One, Brian Parks, who is a retired chef, I mean chief. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, he worked for a long time for the Phoenix Fire Department. I'll let him explain his background because he'll do a much better job in it than myself. Uh, the other gentleman we have is Rain Gray. Rain Gray is a captain for the Phoenix Fire Department as well. Um, today's podcast will probably revolve around education, why it's important, um, how it molds you as a leader, um, a subordinate, a superior, a supervisor, all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, as always, these things will probably go off in about a million tangents, but we'll always circle back to that. So um, let's go with Brian Parks. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself, Brian. Um, Brian Parks, I was born here in Phoenix, Arizona. Been here my whole life. Uh, I worked for Phoenix Fire for 37 years. Uh, started out as a firefighter, retired as a deputy chief. Managing member services and human resources. Nice. And then married, 12 kids, 50 grandkids. No, I've been married to my wife, Nancy, for 39 years. And you still have her working. Still have her working. She loves to work, so she's <laughs> going to keep that on. Uh, How did you kids. convince her to do that, to keep working after you retired? After I, I got to figure it out right. I talked I to somebody recently that said he semi-retired, and then he was home too much. His wife said, what are you doing home? He went back to work, and I said, no, you got it all wrong. You need to turn it around. She, you, you need to retire. She needs to be working. <laughs> yeah, you, you got <laughs> so we're trying to get that working out, trying to get figured out. But, yeah, married, got three kids. They're all grown and three grandkids. And every single one of your uh, son-in-laws is a fireman too, right? 
I've got two son-in-laws are firefighters, and my son. Just recently, right? Recent, recent firefighter. Probationary firefighter, first year? First year. Carson, how's he liking it? He loves it so far. He just started his second rotation at Station 11. Okay, on which uh, shift? On B shift. Oh, yeah, he's loving that. Went, went from sure. 40s to the Station 11. Good for him. He's having fun with it so far. Awesome, awesome. Brian has to be nice to me because uh, Reef Builders did a full renovation <laughs> on, on his house that he, bu- that he bought after retirement. It, it, I'm so jealous of that house. It has, let's see, one RV garage on the right side that you can fit a boat and a trailer on. And the other garage, ha- and that has, well, that used to have a lift in it. Now the other garage is a three-car garage with a tandem garage with two lifts in it, right? That's right. Brian's a car guy too. So tell him, what are you, two, a 46 Ford? No, I've got a 1966 Ford pickup that I've had for 30-something years. And I've got two 1940 Mercury's. One's a co- uh, convertible. One's a convertible. Right? completely restored. And the other one was uh, is a coupe that my father bought in the 1950s. So it's all patinaed. Uh, still running the flathead in it. Nice. So that's going to be my next project to completely restore that car. You and my Uncle Mike need to team up because he has my grandfather's. Um, that's a 46 Ford or a 42 Ford, the flathead. So he doesn't know who to call to work on. I'm like... I go call Brian Parks. He knows how to work on those things. <laughs> so yeah, he uh, he'll be calling you because he okay. retires in January. Oh good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Rain, tell yeah, us about you, buddy. No, so I'm a total total bitch. I have a <laughs> I drive a 2015 Subaru. That's that's what kind my of Subaru car. though. It's an Outback. All right, so it's got you know all wheel drive, car. so that's legit. <laughs> <laughs> it's got leather seats and good AC, man. That's nice. <laughs> it's yeah, we're we're just trying to compensate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no. I got nothing when it comes to cars. It's really quite sad and unfortunate. <laughs> um, so as far as my background is concerned, um, I've been on the job now for, for 21 years next month. And um, I grew up in the Great White North up in Canada in Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, nice. And uh, moved down to California, then went in the Marine Corps after high school and, and – um, met and married my wife uh, in San Diego and we ended up out here in Arizona oh some 25 26 years ago um, and laid roots and this is where her family's from so that's how we ended up back here and of course you know you get into the fire service and it's kind of uh, once you uh, take root there it's kind of where you end up and you stay there for a little while so yeah yeah that's how I that's how I ended up here and kind of a long way from home but uh, but love it just recently have uh, dried out, you know, from my my roots growing up in Vancouver. Very yeah. wet. I like Vancouver. It's super a gorgeous cool city. Place, man. Yeah. Super gorgeous city. Mount and Gross? Did I hike Mount Gross? Is that? Grouse Mountain. Grouse. Yeah, I did that. You did the grouse grind? Straight off the couch. I'm like, yeah, I'll do this thing. I was like about a quarter of the way into I'm like, this was a dumb idea, but and, you, you know, know keep going. <laughs> I don't remember the, I don't remember how long it is or what the elevation is on that, but I just remember suffering. Yeah. That's the only memory I have is being miserable. And there's a, the view when you get to the top is beyond measure. And, um, you know, the beautiful thing about Vancouver is when you get to visit it and you see how green it is in like an August or whatever, but there's a price you pay, you know, for the local, that the locals pay, um, for that beautiful, that beautiful green mountains and snow capped mountains in the distance. It's, it's year, you know, year round rain, lots and hmm. lots of rain. So. I just remember the trees being gigantic there too, man. They're yeah, like so thick, big. thick forest. Yeah. You know, the other thing too that's really interesting is you know you look at the woods here in Arizona, and you can see a quarter mile into the woods, and up in the northwest, you can't see ten feet because it's so grown over with moss and down trees, and it's super thick. You can't see very far. I never knew you were Canadian. 
Well, you know, I don't, I don't talk about it. Too much. I was saying, now it's all making a little bit of sense now. It's all, it's all making more sense. I try dude. to keep it on the down. Yeah, I'm but. like, I'm like, yeah, he told a South Park episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, in my that being said, my parents are both from the United States. So okay. you know, well, you're not Canadian. Then. Not totally. <laughs> yeah. I got dual citizenship. Nice. I go both nice. ways. Yeah. Perfect. So you said you're in the Marine Corps. Yeah, I spent four years in the Marine Corps. How long? Uh, four years. Four years. Yeah, from 1990 to 94, and I was in uh, I was in 1811, which means I was in tanks, and I started off in the M60 tank and I transitioned to the what is now the modern war fighting machine, the M1 Abrams. Okay. And um, it was a tremendous experience. And when we talk about, you know, I know we we had touched on leadership. We're going to touch on leadership, and that was really this the first real indoctrination into what leadership looks like or what it can look like. Uh, was when I was in the Marine Corps. Gotcha. Didn't play any high school sports or anything like that? No, I did. So I, I yeah. ran track and played football. And, um, you know, when I moved to Cali, started surfing and um, missed a few first period classes because the surf was good. You? I don't see that. Rain <laughs> and I couldn't be more opposite. Rain's more the guy that's going to follow the rules, tell the line. I'm going to push I've, I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. I think I'm better I've grown into those rules, the rule following. Really? Phase. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, you know. Yeah, if the surf was good, you're rambunctious. Following a different set of rules there. <laughs> why did uh, Brian? Why did you get into the fire service? You know, when, when I got interested, I didn't know anybody on the fire department, and I was working. In fact, I went to high school, Camelback High School. Oh, so you're and native. I'm a native. Been here my whole life. Played football on a state champion team in 1974. Nice leather uh, helmets. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I got no, no face guards. <laughs> no, yeah. that, that part's yeah. pretty yeah. evident. <laughs> And I also wrestled and ran track. Oh, I know you wrestled. What weight? Uh, 119 my freshman year, 138 my senior year. Nice. I like so it. I've grown a little bit since then. Yeah. I, just <laughs> I don't think I was 119 since like fifth grade. Yeah. Me and you both. Yeah. yeah. I wrestled 160 as a freshman. <laughs> yeah. So a little guy, you know, back then. But but really, I didn't know anybody. I was living in a little house over on about 7th Avenue in Camelback years ago. It was my first house of my own. And I actually witnessed a house fire, a house fire across the street. Where I saw the engine 18 pull in, you know, get off. The firefighter took the hydrant, laid a line in. You know, I thought that was pretty neat. So I was going to Phoenix College at the time just working on general, an AA degree, gotcha. just general education. So I kind of looked at that and I said, well, kind of, this is kind of a neat career. What do I do with that? So I didn't know anybody, so I started just going to stations. Just kind of showed up and, you know, tell me about the job. What do you need to get in? That kind of stuff. So I actually tested. I took the test twice before I got hired. Good so I came on it. Yeah. yeah, it took me two times to get on, but yeah. but February of 1980 is when I came on. So I actually got married on Friday, okay, and I started the academy the following Tuesday. Were you working a job when you're going to school, or what? I was working in the auto center at J.C. Penney. Okay, I did that after high school. Kind of my growing up, uh, the expectation was that you go to college after right. you get out of high school. But having eight kids in my family, there wasn't really money. Yeah. So or food. you have to go to college, but you have to figure out how to do it yourself. Right. So my first two years when I was going to Phoenix College, just working the A degree, I actually had a Pop Warner football scholarship. Really? I paid for the yeah the, the books and the tuition and stuff like that. That's awesome. Back then, it was like $45 a credit hour. <laughs> so it didn't cost much to go to school back Talk then. Talk about the good old days. And then, Rain, you got a pretty interesting story. I remember Rain actually taught... Uh, a class that I was in before I uh, became a captain that I remember hearing you tell me like you and your buddy saved some oh, people. The, yeah. The Roy Moore fire. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So I'll try to give it as, is conf- that what kind of got you into the fire service? No, actually not really. No? So that happened when I was 17. So the, the, 
gist of the story is a buddy of mine that I played football with were out for a run on of all nights, Christmas Eve, and we ran up on a house fire. And uh, short story, we uh, we went into this house fire and we pulled a little girl out. And we were, you know, reality is we were never really in harm's way because of the conditions. Yes, but- you were. You fucking beast the whole way. <laughs> Flames were f- coming off the side of your feet. You got to tell a better story, dude. Okay, I'll tell the whole story. So we, <laughs> no we one's were- really going to know what the truth is. And here's the truth. <laughs> we, we run up on this house and there's a fire coming out of the second story window um, above the garage. And there's a little boy standing out in front of the house. And uh, we grab him by the shoulders to spin him around. We're like, hey, is there anybody in the house? And he says, yeah, my dad is in the house. So we, we run down the side of the house. We go into the – we hop a pool fence and we get into the, the sliding gas glass Arcadia door. And we walk in – or run in rather into the, the kitchen. And there's a light haze kind of like uh, – like if you had burnt toast, like the whole downstairs was filled with this light haze. And we start yelling and screaming. We're looking for anybody who's in this building. We're looking for the father. And we – we start running around the downstairs and we're checking doors and, and hollering and yelling and we get to the bottom of the stairs and we try to go up the stairs and the uh, the heat had already pushed down and was at about floor level and we got our head – I got my head right to the floor and my face began to melt off from the heat and I'm like, that that ain't happening. Right. So we go back down and we go to head out and, and Nick, uh, my, my buddy, runs out the back door and I get to the threshold of the back door and it just – out of the corner of my eye, I see a door that I hadn't checked and I feel compelled to go back. So I, I turn, I go back, I open the door and it's a small guest bathroom, probably, you know, 10 by six feet. Right. And I scream into this bathroom at the top of my lungs because that's what I was doing at the time. I was just screaming and yelling and no response, but I feel compelled to go all the way in. So I go all the way into the bathroom and there's a, the toilet is set back behind a little uh, kind of pony wall type thing. And there's a little girl curled up behind the toilet. Wow. So I snatch her up and I put her in my arm like a football and I go to run out the back door. I clear the pool fence. I have no idea how. And I run out to, <laughs> to this day. I was like a modern miracle. I just happened to go over the fence and it was probably a, you know, five and a half, six foot high pool fence, right? Come out to the front yard. And now the whole entire neighborhood standing out there. I set this little girl down next to her uh, brother and some neighbors are there. They kind of collect her up. And I turn to Nick and we look at each other and we're like, Got to go back in. So we run back in and we do one more lap of the downstairs and um, and the front door comes blasting open. This is all within the span of a couple of minutes, right? right. Front door blasts open and this giant fireman steps in. Was it Brian? He was giant. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Brian, only about a foot and a half taller. <laughs> and he goes... And I, will, I to this day, just kind of this, this stark memory to me, he goes, get the fuck out. <laughs> and I thought to myself, right, what are we doing in this building? Like, this, we're not supposed to be here. So we run out. And, you know, the interesting thing, you know, in the wake of that event, you know, me looking back on it, I realized that that little girl was in a very safe space. She was, you know, away from the fire. She's behind the hollow corridor. She's, you know, there's light smoke. The firefighters were there were just within minutes. Right. So it wasn't, there wasn't much of a risk to her as far as life and limb. However, the mom... Uh, you know, in the paper, everyone's like, oh, you guys are heroes. We get back to school after yeah, Christmas sure. break. You guys are heroes. And the um, the mom wrote, uh, would every year would send me a Christmas card for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Thanking me for rescuing her daughter. No money in it? No money, what unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, um, but the crazy part was, you know, what I realized as I reflected back was that this mom was so grateful that somebody was willing to act 
on behalf of her family. Yeah, for right? sure. And and that was the takeaway is as I began to look back and, and you know, when it came to the fire service, I didn't really think of it as a job um, until years later. And a friend of mine gets hired on. Uh, it was actually Susie Fawcett. Oh, nice, people yeah. in this room know mm-hmm. that gal. Super swimmer. Uh-huh. Super and a graduate swimmer. of the Harvard of the South. <laughs> so Susie got hired on by Tempe and I was working with her at REI. And we're all going to school and doing our thing. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. So I call her up. And I go, Susie, tell me about this job. And she's like, it's a real job, real benefits. It's a real career opportunity. And, and then I began reflecting on different elements that it came across in my life. And reflecting back on this family whose you know, little girl I pulled out of this building. And I realized that there is an opportunity to have an impact on people's lives if you're willing to just put yourself out there. And so – as I thought about what a career, you know, speaking of like why, why I went into the fire service, began realizing that there's really value in certain occupations, right? You, you, the customer interaction you have, there's, there's, there's an opportunity to engage with somebody. And in the fire service in particular, you have an opportunity to engage with people in a way that is very meaningful and in a time when people are not necessarily able to take care of themselves. So you're not like, you know, working at REI, no, not to to diminish that. Dude, that's a but sweet job. I love REI. Was, I'm there all the time. When I worked there, it was amazing, yeah. right? But the the thing was that I, I began to think was like, well, I'm selling them a backpack. I'm helping them go on a trip. That's really cool. Anybody can do that. Yeah. Right? Um, but when you get into the fire service, you realize that you you get very specialized training. You start developing this skill set and you have a willingness to go and do, to put your neck on the line for other people. And that really appealed to me, to be a willingness to do that. Yeah, I'd say you guys did it more than than what a fireman does. Like you guys are in there, we're seventeen bulletproof. Don't yeah. know, don't know any better, but still, like firemen, like they're equipped for it. Like they're they're ready. I, I would call you guys more of a hero than I would those firemen because they're just doing their job. You guys had didn't have any. You didn't have to be in there as a conscious choice. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I would definitely define that as a hero. So, well, I, I appreciate that, and it really has it informed my desire to provide service. Right. right? So when I think about what it is that I get to do every day is I, def- I look at the, the mission of the fire service and I say, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to, to give back to the community in a very meaningful way. And that, that I draw a lot of personal reward from that. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I, I would, I'd say so, you know, from what, what I know of you, you take a lot of pride in kind of what you do. I'd say you and Chris Stewart are, I, I termed Chris Stewart a fire nerd, but I'd call you fire nerd too, <laughs> but like in a good way, you know what I mean? Like you guys love well, it. You guys they, love every Every aspect of it. Yeah. So. Well, right before I came here to, to sit with you guys, <laughs> I came from a, I was in a uh, photovoltaic uh, class. So oh, yeah, nice. learning about solar arrays yeah. and battery storage systems and <laughs> nerd, nerding out, <laughs> totally nerding <laughs> so, out. Super nerd. So, yeah. So I was right. Brian, how long were you a firefighter before you decided to become a captain? I actually was a firefighter for five years and I promoted an engineer after about five years and then I was an engineer for five years and promoted captain when I had about 10 years on. Okay. And then going from there to BC, um, I was in the field most of the time. I did a little stint down a community involvement as a captain. And then when I had about 20 years on, I took the BC's test. Why did you decide to take the captain's test? And like, talk, let's talk about that process for a little bit. Okay. And I think looking at, you know, being a firefighter, a lot of it's just the captains that I've worked with kind of how they manage their crews, how they manage the incidents, kind of seeing how they made a difference in people's lives, both the crews and, and the public that we served. What um, are some of the qualities that those guys had? And, like, what are their names? Because we might know them. I know they're, they're before our time. but Well, I worked as a firefighter. I worked at Station 13 with Tom Christmas. 
Okay. And Tom Christmas retired probably back in the mid '80s. Did Tom go to El Mirage and be the chief? Yes, he he yeah he was over in one of the Indian reservations for a while, and he was a fire chief out there before. But but Tom was just real smart. You know, he, we talk about hydraulics. He knew all the formulas and everything else. One time we went on a call, and somebody was actually stealing water from fire hydrant. And he gets in the, this is the formula you need to figure out how much water they stole. Because PD needed it. So why, how did you know that stuff? Right. So it's just the stuff that he had in his mind. And he was always so calm and collected on the fire scene. I remember we used to run with Engine 12. We had Bob Kappas with the captain. And he was a screamer. Yeah. So he'd get on the scene. There's chaos. You know, everything's coming down. Tom would be there just to calm and cool and collected and everything else. And just took care of his crew. Knew when something was wrong, he'd, he'd let you do what you needed to do. And always had your back. Gotcha. So that 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 guy did you did you want to like emulate him or is that you know that was or is it time just were you getting bored as an engineer or okay it's time to take this test or or, or people telling you that you need to take it or just something like ah no I think you get a point in your career I was an engineer for five years and I felt very confident and comfortable in that job I was able to sit up front and watch the captains make the decisions you know back then as when I came in as a firefighter we didn't have MCTs. So it started out, all the calls were dispatched by radio. So you get a call, the captain, everybody had to be quiet. He'd take a little card out of his pocket and write down the address, who was responding, the time. He had all the information. So you didn't have any information in the MCT. Jeez. So he had to collect all the information on the front side in the station or going down the road in the truck when you get dispatched on a call. Gotcha. So you you kind of look at, you know, where I was as an engineer. I felt real comfortable. You know, I, I, I could do the job. But it was time to do something different. So you get to the point that all the people that I came on with, all my peers, were actually, hey, we need to take this captain's test. Gotcha. So you kind of do it as a group because that's kind of the next step in your career. Gotcha. So it was just time for you. It was time. Because yeah. some, some people get to that and they're just like, I want to be an engineer the rest of my career or whatever or a firefighter. But you just kind of had an internal calling to do it then? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I yeah. think it was just time to do something a little bit different. And you, was it? So how many times did you take the captain's test? Took a captain's test two times. Just number two. Um, you you like twos. I like two, yeah. <laughs> but the first time I took the captain's test, I came out number 22. That sounds pretty good. So it sounds like a pretty <laughs> good number. And a today's two. day. And yeah. then the budget stuff. Lottery. So I'm sitting Jeez. here on the bubbles, number 22. Right. Not knowing if I was going to be excited to go through and take the next test. For those of you that don't know what the bubble is, the <laughs> bubble is you're the next guy to get made and they – cut it off right there so you get stuck not being promoted and you have to <clears throat> take one more test so that was so so you're the bubble guy i was the bubble guy on that list so i went through the whole process and it and it helped me being out for the two years before that acting as a captain because how old were you when you took the first test i took the first test i was about 32 okay so yeah not, so i was pretty young i yeah. came on when i was 22 but that was your first real probably supervisor experience right it was you know in the auto center at pennies i was an assistant service manager right so i had a little bit of experience there but not a lot as far as the emergency scene stuff but not managing goofballs like not managing the goofballs yeah it's a completely <laughs> it's different, different. <laughs> yeah so second time took it second time i took i came out number nine. Oh, look at that yeah so i did a little bit better the next time and still you know it took another six eight months till i got promoted right and it was kind of interesting once i got promoted i wrote for a little bit and then ladder 20 opened up so i put in for ladder 20 as my first station that was my first probationary station was ladder 20. So another I went two back, another I went, two in there i went back to that station with the same crew that was with me as a booter <laughs> how was that so i had kenny ray you know, 30-something years on, one right. of the best ladder engineers ever. 
So just a great coup. It's interesting going back as you know as the booter there. Now I'm come back as their supervisor. Yeah, how did so how'd that go? That crew was like trained so well. You know, I, I, I had to look, had to rely on them for some of the experience, especially ladder work. For sure, being a captain coming in, those guys knew a lot more about ladder work, about ventilation, extrication than I did. Right. So I had to let them do the job and just be there to kind of watch them. And I learned a lot from them. Gotcha. But it was a, a great crew. Um, I wanted to get out and do PT. Yeah, I said, hey, let's go play racquetball next shift. Do we have to? <laughs> well, no, not really, but it'd be nice. And so I put little sticky notes on their cars and the mirrors and stuff. Remember your racquetball racket. <laughs> <laughs> the next shift we came in, we just went out and played racquetball, had a blast. Nice. So it was, it, it was fun. It was just a, a great crew of Station 20. You know, the engine had been the same crew forever. They are on A shift. So, so. Man, managing an older crew, your advice is be humble, listen. <laughs> Don't do, don't direct a lot. Let them kind of empower them to do what they do best, and just kind of learn from them. That's it. Yeah, they were doing that job long before I was on the fire department. Right. So they they knew what they needed to do. I just needed to let them know what our assignment was. Right. And be there with them to give the progress reports and going on. So for me to actually come in and say this is what you need to decide to do it, I couldn't do it because they had a lot more experience than I. They probably laugh you off the truck. Yeah, and I think that's going through your career. I think you're never going to know everything. There's always going to be somebody that knows more than you do. That's not a chief's attitude. What are you thinking? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that's, that, yeah. that's a good lesson to learn for, you know, for, for, for a younger guy that, that doesn't do Cause sometimes the younger guys don't have the experience. They want to come in and be like, I'm, this is, I'm the boss. I'm the supervisor. Like sometimes it's, I mean, for me, when I go in somewhere and there's a bunch of senior guys, I'm like, I'm just going to sit back and coast and let you guys do it all. Like, uh, one of my mentors gave me uh, really good advice back in the day. He said, you know, 99% of the things that you do on a fire truck, you're not going to have to make any decisions on. Let the crew mm-hmm. make those decisions. Where they want to shop, where they want to cook, where they want to train, stuff like that. You make the one that counts. And then, you know, when you have that kind of outlook on things, it's easy just to keep everybody within the within the boundaries and just let them do their thing. Yeah, so, it's very good advice to do that. So then you said, so you're a captain for how long? I was a captain for 10 years. So you went from 20 to where? I went to Engine 5. And that was back in the days, uh, BLS Engine 5. Yeah. Um, back then, it was um, Engine 205 was the adaptive response. They actually got put down to Ahwatukee. So, so just to explain it back on that. So Phoenix, the Phoenix Fire Department used to have two different types of uh, units that responded. A BLS truck, which is a basic life support truck, and an ALS truck, which is advanced life support, which has two paramedics on it, or paramagicians, as I like to call them. <laughs> I'm a BLS guy, so they converted all of the engines over to ALS trucks, I don't know how long, 10 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. So right. our ladder trucks are, are in the process of actually being converted to ALS. We're kind of late to the game in Phoenix because everybody else has already done that, I, pretty much nationwide, right? I think yeah. most people are, are running that deal. And then the adaptive response truck, he's t- Brian's talking about, 205. If you have another truck in your station, they give it a designation on the front side, so engine five and station five. So if they have another truck, that's two o five, right? And they went from two o five to seven o five. Now it's nine o five. So as more trucks come in the system, and other cities have designations for two hundred trucks or whatever, then Phoenix actually had to change there. So sorry, Brian. I just wanted to like people listen; they won't necessarily know that. So okay. So I was a captain of station five for about five years, and I had a, a crew that was about my age. You know, about a little bit less experience than me. So just being able to supervise them was a little bit different. You know, I could be a little more involved in kind of what you need to do, give a little more direction what the expectations were. But I think the biggest thing coming in, you get a crew. 
lot of you need to figure out who they are, what they've been, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and then what do I need to work on to make them better? So know your people. Know the people. Bruno yeah. was big yeah. on that, right? Know like like knowing your people. Yeah, knowing the people, know who's on the truck, and and I think you know being a captain in the station, you have a regular crew, you get pretty comfortable. Everybody knows what each one was thinking. You don't really have to talk a lot on the call because everybody knows their job. They know where they fit and what needs to be done. Where you have one rover, somebody that's not there typically with you come in, you have to watch them a little bit closer. Right. You know, give them the expectations up front. This is what I need to have done. This is why. But make sure they're equipped and trained to do what you're asking them to do. Right. Rain, how long were you uh, firefighter? Sorry, for? I was yeah. lost in Brian's yeah, thoughts thinking about, for a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a good thing to be lost in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a dark place. It's right? a dark place. <laughs> um, how long was I a firefighter? Uh, oh, my gosh. I have to do the math on this. I don't even remember exactly. So I started my career in Sun City West and worked out there for three years okay. and then came over to Phoenix. So Didn't know a, that either. Yeah, lots of secrets. Yeah. Uh, so I was – so um, first couple of years, three years out there as a firefighter, became a paramedic and then came over to Phoenix and started my you know my career over here. And um, I think it was a firefighter, medic uh, for about four years and then I took the engineer's process. So about four, you know, seven years total – and um, was an engineer for about four years and then jumped into the captain's process. Um, and uh, there's a dog leg in there, which I'll, which I'll spare you. No, no, it's, it's here. Come it's, on. Well, <laughs> it's worth mentioning. It's worth talking about. <laughs> well, so I was an engineer for about four years. And then I, um, I wanted to get a specialty. And I couldn't, as a paramedic engineer, it was almost, you'd have to sell your mother down the river. There was no way to get a spot. Um, there's just so few of them in the special operations world. You've always been a unicorn. <laughs> so I demoted. Wow. Um, so I demoted back to firefighter and, um, and so I could get a spot on engine 12. And uh, I had taken the captain's process one time and uh, did not come out in a makeable spot. So I'm like, well, there's things you can control and things you can't control in your career. What can I get my hands wrapped around? Well, I've always wanted to do a specialty. What am I going to do? So I took a bold step and I demoted. Um, and that landed me a spot on engine 12. And, um, you know, I was on, on the captain's list, so I was acting as a captain a lot and, um, and getting in this specialty. And then I took the process again. And so, um, so I had right around 15 years on the job um, when I got promoted to captain. Seasoned veteran, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, I definitely had some seasoning and had, had a broad range of experiences at that point. And you know what's interesting is when I, you know, earlier on my career, I was very gung ho, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to be a captain at this point. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And you know, those years of tempering, once I came on the list and went out and acted, um, and I learned so much more and grew so much more. By the time I got promoted, I felt like at that point now, now I'm actually ready. Um, right. So it, 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 you know, at the end of the day, I was, I was ticked at the first time when I didn't get promoted. But over time, you know, I matured, grew up, had some more experiences. And then was much, much more prepared right. by the time I got pinned and, um, and felt, you know, like that, that, that experience was truly valuable to me in my personal maturation and my maturity as a captain and company officer, et cetera. And, um, yeah, it was good. Did you row for a bit or, or were you able to find a spot pretty quickly? Or? So I landed a couple of, uh, good temporaries right. and, um, you know, with a mix of crews and, um, well, you know, I was at engine 12 for quite some time. Were active. you on a shift? Um, Were you a shifter? When did I come to a shift? Yes. So we have three different shifts at, in in Phoenix, A, B, and C. Just so there's coverage for 365 days a year, and they separate from A, B, and C. So yeah. 
So I was on C-Shift when I was at Engine 12, and then I came over. I went into a staff spot for a short period of time, and I came out on A-Shift on the other side. Gotcha. So I jumped around. Now, my career, I have never been on B-Shift. Um, full You're disclosure. not a B-Shifter. <laughs> no, but no. You don't have a B-Shift on your body. No. <laughs> and uh, so C and A-Shift my whole career, back and forth a little bit here and there. But Gotcha. Yeah. And then did you end up getting a spot somewhere as a captain? or? So, yeah, 28 was my last home. Okay. And, um, and then I, um, jumped into the, uh, I had an opportunity to go and be a field incident technician, right. To go be a nice. fit or a battalion safety officer, depending on where you're from, what you call it. Right. But yeah. I went to go drive a chief and, uh, start getting some experience there. One and of the greatest jobs ever. It is pretty juicy. Yeah. Yeah. So I went and drove battalion five for a while and then my rescue partner got promoted to chief. And so who is that? Uh, Paul Moore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Paul Moore and I did our full 200 shifts on our rescues together. And, um, when I came on to Phoenix, Paul, Paul came on to Phoenix with me. He had been a captain in sun city. And, um, I think he already had like 10 years in the fire service at that point when oh, he came geez. over. Yeah. So he, um, so needless to say, you know, he very seasoned, very experienced. Talk about a good partner to have. Right. Every time I try to do something stupid, he'd be like, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let me give you some wisdom right now. Right. So he dropped knowledge on me and that was tremendous. So now, you know, we got the team back together and uh, we're riding on Battalion 8 right now together. Nice. And uh, tremendous experience and opportunity, you know, for me. And, well, I would like to think it's a good experience for him, too. Well, <laughs> he, he might. He might uh, have a different yeah, point would, of view on that, but right. we can't ask him, so we'll just say yeah. <laughs> and then you want to be a chief, right? Yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm currently on the list, and I'm out, you know, um, every once in a while they use me as a chief and uh, to fill in different spots. So I get to act out of class periodically, nice. and then uh, there's another process coming up here very shortly. So what are, we'll see how um, it goes. As a, as a captain and chief, like what are, what are some of the – the good, bad things that you learned to lead people, men, women, everybody, firemen, knuckle draggers, so goofball. So I think the thing, you know, my first, my my first thought when you say when you ask that question is, um, is un, is the level at which you understand risk management, and I mean that like for yourself as a as an individual or as a, when you start thinking about the organization, right? The higher you go in the organization, the more you start to broaden your uh, perspective of what's taking place out there in, in the world. And so, you know, as a firefighter, you're looking at the, you know, the, uh, the six feet that are right around you. And, um, and then as you grow up, you begin to broaden that perspective. And, you know, you hear people talk about kind of the 10,000 foot view or the 30,000 foot view, yeah. you know, you begin to elevate your perspective and you realize that, uh, there are way more stakeholders that are affected by your individual actions, um, as you grow up in the organization. So, it's like being a parent. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I hate to kind of diminish it, but both are very challenging and yeah. uh, in very different ways. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. No, I think, you know, uh, managing people is a lot like, you know, managing kids or whatever. Like, got to look out for them, protect them, keep them safe, you know, keep them, keep them inside the boundaries, <coughs> show them consistency, you know, right. live up to your word. You know, your actions have to back up your word, stuff like that. That's I, To me, those are... All like like all the things you have to do as a leader. Did you run into any challenges out there, like you know, with with people, crews, stuff like that, and like you know, absolutely. Right. So the what I find happens most frequently is that 
as a leader, you have a certain set of expectations, a certain vision for what you want to have done. Whatever that, whether you're an informal leader at, you know, backseat partners in a, on a fire truck or you're the captain or you're a chief officer, either way, um, there's expectations that you have for how your day is going to go or what you expect of your people to be able to do. So the thing that I think is really interesting where the challenges come in is when people's expectations don't align, they don't understand what the intent of the, of the mission is, so to speak. So you get folks who are, <clears throat> excuse me. Who, Do you want some water, dude? No, no, I'm okay. okay. All right. um, I totally now I forgot what I was going to say because I coughed. Expectations don't match up between you and everybody else. Right, so it's super important for to express your leader's intent and and make sure that people are on the same page, headed in the same direction. And when people start to focus on themselves and they get very caught up in their own little world, and this is what I want to do today, that was typically when I ran into problems. If I wasn't as a leader, if I wasn't. Um, expressing what was important for the day or I wasn't setting those expectations or providing the right kind of direction for the folks that were there. So, you know, Brian mentioned this before is know, knowing your people and knowing what their needs are and what their expectations are. It's going around the room. I know. I started. <laughs> is that the hit or something? I don't know what's going on. Stay away from you freaks. <laughs> <laughs> so that So that piece right there, setting that expectation and um, and knowing what those what your people's expectations are for the day as well. Right. And because and I think sometimes you come in and you think, hey, man, this is how the day's going to go. But they got they got other things going on. They got family drama. They got a project they're working on. And so we have to be uh, you have to be willing to be flexible and, and address each people or each person and each member of your organization in a different way. Gotcha. Yeah. And I want me. I don't have any expectation when I show up. I truly don't. In the morning, I'm like, I don't give a shit what we do. Like, what do you guys want to do? Cool. You guys want to do that? Let's do it. If, it. if it crosses, you know, something, if we have training or stuff like that, obviously we have to do that shit. But I've, I've been able to kind of stay away from that stuff because I really don't give a shit. I'm like, I'm here for 24 hours. What do you guys want to do? If there's something I have to do or something, I'll ask everybody like, hey, man, is it cool if I do this or I got to do that or something like that? But typically, I mean, there's so much that goes on during the day. I, I've And I, I since I've trained a thousand guys that have come through that academy i think my experience has been different too mm -hmm. so i think you know it, it's different when you you know see most of those kids that kids that come through but i think you're right like you got to be able to understand your people and be flexible and like know that it's not your show it's like everybody else's besides yours well let me give you a great example so i was roved into or i had a, a temp at a spot for about six months and my my routine was we're going to train we're going to shop and we're going to pt right those are the non-negotiables. Now, gotcha. that leaves you with like, you know, 22 and a half hours to do whatever you want. And we're going to run calls. Um, right. But the rest, you know, the time is yours to do whatever you want. What would you guys like to do? Yeah. And then what, what we trained on and those kind of things were based on if, if I felt there was a need or if I, I go to the crew and say, hey, what, what do you feel like we're missing? What do we need to train on right. and get their input? And then we'd put together kind of our, you know, our series of what our training is going to look like right. over the next little while, what have you. So... I had this little temporary, we had a rhythm, everything was good. And I, I, uh, the captain who worked there came back and I went out, I'm back, I'm out roving. Oh, a couple months later, I get roved into the station. So restart. <laughs> I, and I did, I was like, I'm jumping right back in. Hey, these guys know the expectation. Mm -hmm. So at, you know, at like eight 30, I'm like, all right, gents, mount it up. And they all get on the truck. It's all the same cast of characters. Right. And the engineer looks at me and he's like, Hey man, what the F? Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean, what the F? And he goes, well, wouldn't it be nice if you might ask me yeah. what I want to do today? <laughs> and I was like, 
immediately, like, Damn it. I was like, dang, gun it, man. <laughs> I was running the game. I had, you know, like I was like, no, I thought we were back where we were, right? right. Like I picked up right where we left off. These guys were like, hell no, we didn't. And I, so I said, time out. I said, you're absolutely right, right? So immediately uh, apologize for my misstep. Be humble, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, you're absolutely right. What would you like to do today? You got something on the agenda? I'm like, nothing. What do you want to do? No. No, I don't. But I just wanted you to ask me. Yeah. Right? And so I'm like, hey, you're absolutely right. I should have asked you. I should have said, I should have figured out what was on your guys' agenda. Right. And then, you know, took your your perspective into account. And yeah. I did it. My bad. And, um, and you know, made that little course correcting. I apologized. Off we went. Apologies go a long way, dude. Like, people don't realize that. You just say, hey, I'm sorry. I fucked up. I did this wrong. You got to own it. Yeah, I'm totally retarded. Help me out here. Everyone's like, okay, cool. You are retarded. Let's yeah. move on. So. Well, and I, I even said, like, oh, hey, man, I thought we were back. I, I picked up where we left off. I thought we are in the trust tree, bro. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I apologize. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that was a lesson for me, you know, in in remembering that everybody here has something going on. And th- things change, you know, from day to day, from month to month. Like, yeah. things evolve and change and people's perspectives change their health changes you know all kinds of things uh shift and that goes back to like knowing your crew you weren't there for two months so you didn't know yeah what happened or what habits change or, right. or stuff like that's when it's tough when we say rover um until you get a permanent spot at a station you're technically what's called a rover so you fill in for people that are sick on vacation um, have hurt themselves on the truck or whatever it is so that that's what a rover is so you sometimes don't have a regular crew all the time if, you, if you're fortunate like rain um, you get a temp spot somewhere, so you get to go to the same place every time, see the same people. So it's even harder when you're out as a roving captain to fit into crews or actually to get to know them because sometimes you only, it's tough. Sometimes you're only there for 24 hours, so you, so you can't really affect um, behaviors very well or other things just because you're basically your uh, substitute teacher, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, and I would love to get Brian. I would love to get Brian's opinion on this because there's. There's a lot of we've talked about this a bunch, but this when you talk about the rover um, population or that cha- a transient body of people, right. um, and I think this affects almost any organization, but specifically high risk work groups, right? Where you have um, a very dangerous job where the outcome could be injury or death. Right. Um, having continuity in your work group is so important, right? And you talk about knowing what's going on in people's lives, knowing what their knowledge, skills, and abilities are. And, and where they are in their the, – you talked about, uh, mm-hmm. Brian, you mentioned your crew being able to work seamlessly together. Um, that is so important to being able to be effective in the accomplishment of your mission. Right. Um, so I really – and that's a personal, a personal thread for me that I like to pull on because, you know, we use – in our organization, we have a pretty big body of, of – transient yeah, employees like a third right or two-thirds or something. yeah yeah it's a pretty good number yeah. and so out of 1800 or 1600 something like yeah, that yeah a lot it, of people so it's uh you know i would love to dig into how other organizations do it but i know you know in a dynamic work environment like we have having that having that continuity of the workplace is really important yeah. and something to strive toward i think that comes into like uh whether it be in corporate america here at the construction company or like mm-hmm. like at the fire department when you get somebody new or a rover or something like that, I think it's everybody else's job to bring that person in to, like, the family. Like, you know, right. a new guy starts, like, hey, man, like, you know, show them the ropes, talk to them, don't, don't put them on the outside, don't, don't have inside jokes that they don't understand, like, explain stuff like we're doing, like, on this podcast for, like, like terms and, and shit like that. Like, like you, kinda, right. you, have to, you have to circle around those people. And if, you know, if we're being real, like, 
treat them like fucking family. You know what I mean? Like we preach family and all that kind of stuff. It's like yeah. it's our jobs. I think at times we don't do a good job of doing that, and that we could do better. And you know, at doing that, um, that's something I always do with with rovers. Is like whenever they come in, like they're my buddy for the day. Like we're gonna do everything. You're doing everything with me. We're gonna talk. I'm gonna get to know you. Stuff like that. I actually, give a shit about kind of them. Like what's going on like in their life. Brian, how did you? Uh, since we're still talking captain stuff, um, how did you kind of like? Uh, create crew continuity like how did you bring those bonds together was it like racquetball simple as that or other things a lot of us just doing stuff as a crew you know i think the biggest thing as far as being successful in a career or in your life is your relationship with others i think you need to really develop relationships know what's going on in each other's lives know everybody's got something going on in their life that they're struggling with how do we be there to help identify that if they need to get help how do we get them there right. but the continuity i think has to do with trust and the trust comes back to relationships. So you have to have the relationship with the people. And relationships go how you communicate with them, how you relate with them, how you care about them. I think being a leader, the, your, your people need to know that you care about them. Right. You need to know what's going on, what you can do to help them. What are their goals in life? What are their goals on their career? You know, how, how do we help them attain, attain those goals? But I think the continuity and... The trust has to come to working together, being able to give them a task, make sure they have the training or the equipment they need to do the task, and be there to follow up to make sure they're successful and have, 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 have the support they need from me. But a lot of the, I think the crew, the continuity is actually doing stuff together. The crews that eat dinner together, yeah. eat lunch together, Cook together the yep. crews that do PT together, the ones, you know, I think station dynamics have changed a lot since the station design. How we've got the separate yeah. bedrooms with the firefighters. The old stations had one living area, one TV. We didn't have cell phones. And then you had a common dorm. So you're with those crews 24 hours a day. You like do everything together. And now with the new station design where everybody has their own bedroom, you might see a crew member just at, when it's time to eat. Right. When it's time to go on a call, that's it. So I think a lot of it's just being there for each other. Getting to know them, know that they, you care about them, right? And you, you're invested in them. Yeah, you're going to be there to support them. But I think being a leader, you need to give them the expectations and follow up to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to. And I think a lot of times the pats on the bats are good. Mm -hmm. we, we need to give them positive praise as right. much as possible. But on the other side, if something's not going good, they need to know about that. For sure. I think on, on our department, we kind of look at a lot. We don't like to be the bearer of bad news. Right. Sometimes people do stuff. And they don't actually know they're doing it. So, so it's just a matter yeah. of bringing it to their attention. Accountability, right? Accountability is a big part of it. On both sides of the fence, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. when they do good and, and, and poor. One thing that came that's come up in another podcast was um, all the stuff that you talked about, I 100% agree with. But how much does any of that work if you have, um, let's call it inconsistent or um, uh, fair weather integrity? How does that usually go over for a crew or a battalion? I think your crew are, as a leader, people know who you are. Right. They know what you're built from. And a lot of it, I, I think you look at, we talk a lot about leadership on the job, but we need to be leadership 20, 24 hours a day. It needs to be who you are on your days off, who you, who, 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 who you hang out with, who your friends are. And you kind of hear about if you hang out with five people, you're going to become the average of those five people. For sure. So who yeah. do you hang out? What's your appearance? Yep. Are you looking sharp? How do you talk? How do you, are you calm during the situations? 
to be able to keep your temper. But a lot of it has to do with who you are as a person. People have you under a microscope. They're going to know a lot more about you as a person than you think they will. Absolutely. They're watching you. Yeah. Just like kids, right? They're watching everything that you do. And if you have yeah. no integrity mm-hmm. and that boils on everything else, like when you say something, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like you're full of shit because I just yeah. saw you do this or I saw you do that. And like, if, like for me, it all starts with integrity. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have that and your crew can't trust you because integrity and trust kind of go hand yeah. in hand, then all that other shit is just kind of a kind of a wasted effort. So Yeah, it always comes down to be the person your dog thinks you are. <laughs> if you look at that, your that. dog loves their master. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to be on that pedestal. If you're dealing with something, maybe it's a personal issue. You don't want to be the guy that's been through it yourself. I've been through it, now I have to deal with you. Right. So a lot of it's just your credibility, but your reputation. I think you, we walk in the door of this department, and you have a reputation. And oh, that's yeah. something you need to really protect. Well, especially when, once you take that captain's mm-hmm. test or that chief's yeah. test, like your reputation proceeds before you walk into any room. Yeah. Like, they, like people know who you are. Like, Rain, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on integrity and like how, how you think that plays into being a good leader. Well, it's absolutely critical. It's interesting when you're you're talking about reputation and the thought that occurred to me was something I was sharing uh, with the recruits actually just this week. I was teaching fire behavior. And before I jumped into the lecture, I kind of threw down this this thought that I had. So a bunch of years ago when my daughter, uh, who is now in college, was just you know becoming a little woman, right? I was like, okay, I want you to wear modest clothes. And not because I'm like so worried about this... this uh, uh, well, I just want you to. I want the you're way you're a dad, dude. You know what the you're, way you're you're I'm trying to justify, but yeah, I'm a dad. <laughs> Protect yourself. And so, you know, the thought we joke around in our house, I'm like, well, wear a knee length, knee length skirt. Right. Well, where exactly is my knee, dad? Right. <laughs> is the, the thought that occurs. And I'm like, okay, listen, let's talk about the principle. The principle is not about where your knee is, but the principle is that there's people out there who are judging you. And it's, this applies not just to little girls, but it applies to everybody. Everywhere you go, there's somebody who is thinking about the way that you're presenting yourself. Now, some of that person may not matter in your life at all. You may never, ever see them ever again. But um, however, in the fire service or in your business or wherever you happen to be uh, spending most of your time, people are thinking about the way that you're presenting yourself. And if you show up looking like a slob, they're judging you. Now, you may not care. Um, but you are sending a message. And then when you open your mouth and the things that you say and the way that you present yourself, again, people are judging you. Well, yeah. So that's the, you know, talk about building a reputation. You have to be thought, you have to recognize that other people are thinking about you and behave accordingly and guard your words, guard your actions in the right circumstances and make sure you're, you're, you know, who you're, who is in your network. Um, and the way you speak to those people is appropriate. Um, so where is my knee? You know, like where's that line at? Right. And understanding where your line is and what's appropriate and what's not is really, really important. And then when you speak to integrity, it's knowing what that is and being true to that that mark that you set in the sand. You know, like this is my boundary and I have integrity and I will be even even and equally measured whenever I'm dealing with people, specifically when you're in a leadership capacity. Um, you can't treat Bob differently. You treat Joe or Sally or you know, Tim. It's bad or parenting. One hundred percent, right? Because that will parenting. come right back and bite you right square in the butt. Right. Um, so you know, integrity is critical. Um, I think you can speak to it like as a roving captain, or as you promote up the chain. So like, we have twelve employees. Like, I don't see all of our field techs like all the time. But what we do on Monday mornings is we have a Monday morning operations meeting. Talk about the week. 
we buy burrito, breakfast burritos, everybody sits around the table, bullshits, talks, talks about the week. We do like a Spanish lesson of the week. We do. So like, you, you know, at, yeah, yeah. You had me a burrito. For sure. <laughs> so, so just there's more team building stuff in there and you have to take an active, um, uh, like you were saying, Brian, like an active role in like getting to know people and talk to mm-hmm. people and like see what's going on. But on top of that, that's my, that might be my one chance that week to have an impression on people and if i fuck that up and i i'm a, in a bad mood or i'm not present or i'm not thinking about stuff they're like dude what's wrong brandon today like didn't do this didn't do that and i think as you promote up the chain and well i don't know because i'm not a chief and i don't ever plan on being one but um for you can probably speak to it, brian like you don't see your crews all the time like a captain would every day like you're going to see that crew on a, on a major event or at training and stuff like that so it's even more important to be consistent and have integrity and in in in, in all those other things do you do you feel that way, like, as you promote up that chain? Like, when you have the time in in, in front of the field people, um, your captains, your firefighters, stuff like that, that you have to be on point as much as possible, like, with those people? You do. You have to be aware of who you are all the time. You have to be consistent. They have to know what they're getting. And you need to be present. You know, as being a BC, you don't see the crews on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. You see them on the calls. You see them during training. But you still need to stay connected with them. Maybe it's just a phone call to see how they're doing. When I was a BC in the field, I used to visit my stations, but I'd always call ahead so they knew when I was coming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, That's... so just to know you're coming. And then... Nobody wants the chief just to show up. Yeah, and we'd run calls <laughs> with them. Sometimes we'd cancel. Sometimes I'd go in just, just by chance to connect with them, see what's going on. Yeah, right. Just see how you guys are doing. Do you guys need anything? What's, you know, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. But I think that open communication, and they know what to expect. They know I'm going to show up. They're not, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to take them who they are. I was a BC when I first promoted up a battalion four on B shift. Right. So a BC is a battalion chief battalion for people. And I had crews or captains. Most of them had a lot more time on than I did. So you, you it, it, it was part commentary. of that. What do I need to support you? What do you guys need? Right. You know, I remember showing up when I, when I first went out in the field. Mark Simmons was the captain of Station 50. And he was on an ALS engine for the first time. And he's at bad at an auto accident sitting there. He's by his truck. His crew went with the patient to the hospital. Mars said, I haven't driven one of these trucks for 30 years. What do I do? <laughs> and he got it and drove it. So stuff like that, you know, just to be there to support him. What do you guys need? Do you need my fit to drive for you? Or? Well, I keep hearing the same thing from you. No matter what position you're in, it's being humble. It's being consistent. It's like being a servant leader. It's the same thing. Put your crew, put everybody else in front of you. And it kind of seems like that's been a warning formula for you. Like, don't worry about what the hell I'm doing. Let's worry about, like, how can I help you guys? Yeah, that's part of it, being there to support them. You know, you look as you go up in the organization, we talk a lot about supervising fire crews, but then all of a sudden you're thrown into a staff position where you're supervising civilian employees, most of them female. Right. You know, just a different work environment. And it's the same principle. Be there, you know, you're not the subject matter expert. I come in to supervise people. I've never done payroll. Right. I've never done claims. I've never done public records. There's a lot of stuff they do on a daily basis they're good at. I just need to be there to make sure they have everything they need and to let them know I care. It's just a matter of stopping every day to see how you're doing. You know, how, how's it, is anything you need? Right. You know, what's going on? So just be there as, as a resource for them. So be they, present. They, be, there. be present. <laughs> be there to, to listen to them. I think as hmm. a leader, a manager, it's not about what you have to say. It's about how you listen. Gotcha. You got to get the information from them. If you don't have the information from them, you're not going to have the information to make the decisions you need to. Yeah. But a lot of it's relying on their expertise, and then what can I do just to keep you moving forward? Being a good listener, shutting your mouth, mm-hmm. actually open that stuff up. Back to that, you don't know everything. 
But I don't know what you guys think, but I know when you can do stuff like that, whether it be a fire crew, a construction crew, uh, in, in, in the corporate environment, or even in the military, when you're that way all the time, then you actually need something. They're like, dude, whatever you need, mm-hmm. man. Like, yeah. like we're, they'll, they'll lay in the street for you because we typically don't need much. So when you can display those type of behaviors for yeah. people, then they're willing to lay right there, like lay in the street for you right there. Yeah, it's just really getting to do what they need to do, not because they have to, because they want to. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have a good relationship, you care about the people, you communicate with them, you give them clear direction, you get information back from this you know you're present with them every day a lot of us the connectedness being with people people like to be part of the team yeah so how do you connect with somebody make them part of the family we're tribal and, people man we like community. Yeah. like everybody wants to be part of something right and, look at us here right now yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah yeah and just make sure we're going up farther in the organization you're still human being we're, we're humans we're, we're firefighters but you're humans right we got all the personal stuff that everybody else deals with it how did you stay kind of connected or humble? Like once you became a deputy chief and like stuff like, cause you worked in personnel for a long time. Like, and that's where I, that's where you and I kind of, mm-hmm. you know, met each other, you know, sitting on the interview boards or whatever. Like I, you always just seem like a very level headed, like, you know, not far removed from a truck kind of person. Like how did, how did you approach and that, or is that just who you are or you didn't really think about it or. That's who I who I basically am. You know, I was raised in a family of eight kids. Right. So I had to fit into the team just from a very young age. Where were you in that hierarchy? I was number five. So you're right in the middle? Right, right in the, the middle. The lost child. Yeah, right in the middle. <laughs> and I got one brother, Kevin, that came on after me. Kevin's actually four years older than me. Okay. He came on four years after me. So he tries to tell everybody I'm the older one. Right. Yeah. And I always say, yeah, you have your goal in life was to be just like your little brother. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of it's just the way I was raised in the family, you know, I... Um, I was an Eagle Scout, so that set a lot of my values, who I am. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the values are not just job-related, it's life stuff. Right. And the thing you learn in education, you don't learn just job skills, you learn life skills. Right. You learn the communication, how to look at a person when you're talking to them and realize you're a lot more from the body language than you are from what they're actually saying. Right. Yeah, there's a lot you can learn just by watching people. Awareness, right? And, and I learned that I don't need to be the one talking all the time. I never learn if I'm talking. And I want to learn something every day. And part of us being able to listen to what other people say, kind of what their opinion is, kind of where they're coming from. Right. Well, that's actually one of the things I picked up from you, like mm-hmm. in our conversations when we were first getting to know each other. I'm like, this dude's actually listening. Like mm-hmm. a lot of chiefs and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus or supervisors I worked for, whether it be in construction or like in the military or something like that. Like you can tell they're already scripting what they want to say back to you before you even finish what mm-hmm. you're saying. Like you, like there's a connection, like, like when I speak, I'm like, this dude's actually listening to what, you know, is coming out of my mouth. And that c- comes back to the listening thing. Yeah. And I have learned that a lot, you know, through, through scouts and through education, you know, the listening skills and, and being proactive. Right. And did yeah. you, have you practiced that? Like, is that just something that obviously your parents taught you the uh, Eagle Scout stuff? Mm-hmm. Is it just something that you continue to practice as you got better with it? Or did you have to refine that? Or no, it's something you have to work on all the time and have to think about. And I think when I'm talking to somebody, I'm really thinking about being in the present. Mm-hmm. Not about the future, what I have to say, what's coming up, not the past, what's going on. But I really try to be in the present of what they're actually saying that time. Right. So it's a skill I've actually worked on for a long time to actually find out the reason they're actually telling me something. You know, sometimes they'll come in to give you a message, but what is what are they really trying mm-hmm. to get at? 
sometimes they may something say something, but they really mean something else. For sure, yeah. What's <laughs> what's coming out of their mouth is is yeah. what their body's telling you. Do you, Rain? Do you agree with that? Yeah, all I could think about was I've been married for 27 years and I'm still trying to figure that out. Like how to be a good, engaged, active listener. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> my wife tells me that I am not good at that. Um, <laughs> so it is. it definitely is a, a very, very important part of the of being able to have a consistent and, and um, effective relationship with someone is being able to listen to the things that – am I sitting too close? The uh, – to be able to have a, a good reciprocal relationship with somebody, you have to listen to them. Otherwise, they're not going to feel like you're invested in the in the in the partnership, in the relationship. Right. You know, and and when I what I was thinking about too when you were talking about this was the um, is respecting the work that people are doing and understanding that when you are a leader, your job is to support the the people who are doing the work at the sharp end of the stick. You know, and and you have to give them the room, whether it be an, an admin or, or whether it be on a fire truck, you have to give them the room to be the subject matter experts in their area of, of expertise. Yeah, you have to value, right? That you yeah. that's what I'm hearing from you. You have to value what people do and actually be like, Hey, actually you're good, dude. It's like Yeah. Yeah, like value is kind of what I'm hearing from you, like, you know, value right. what they do. Right, and and your job as a leader is to support the work that they're doing. So your your job is to take out roadblocks and provide, a you know, an umbrella to be a shit shield for right. when things go sideways and, and give them the room to be um, to be valued and to work and to give them the room to do the work that it supports the mission, right? Not being like, oh, God, I got to do this. Like, yeah, man, that's your job. That's what you signed up for, stupid. Like you're there once you become a leader, supervisor, whatever. It is no longer about you, right? It's about everybody else but you. 100%. Lonely being at the top, right? It is. It's very lonely at the well, top. And nobody wants to hear your shit. Like, oh, man, I'm having a bad – like no one gives a shit. Like they well, don't. They don't care. Like, you remember in Saving Private Ryan and he's talking to the lieutenant or captain and he's like, you know, Tom Hanks or whatever. And right. they're like, hey, Cap, you never complain. And he goes, hey, man, complaints go up. They don't go down. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Right? He goes, so I complain to the – whatever he is, lieutenant colonel or whatever. Right. I'll complain to you guys. Yeah, because because essentially people want you to be the rock. Like they mm-hmm. want you to be the dudes that's not screaming over the radio that's when right. shit's going mm-hmm. When like when 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 shit hits the fan, you want to be able to look at your leader and be like, "Yeah, that guy, cool as hell. I'll follow him or I'll follow her anywhere." And I right. think that all that stuff kind of just circles around and around and around and around, and then you know that's how you end up being an effective leader out there. And 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 I don't know, Brian, like. Um, like some of your peers that have done it well or not done it so well, have you ever had conversations about that or have they come to you like, man, how do you, Brent, how do you get your people to be able to do this? Cause I'm struggling with, with, with like trying to get our people to do this. Have, have, have I'm, I can only imagine those conversations have, have, have had to happen before. Right. Oh, well, we've definitely had those conversations. I think, you know, growing up in the fire service, um, I have learned from people who have done well with leadership and people that have not done well. Right. You know, the way I've been able to watch them. But having the discussion, just kind of what are you doing, how are you approaching the people? Right. Kind of is what, what how, how, do you, how do you talk to people? And I think a lot of it is how you react to people. They say something to you. How do you react? How do you take the information and say? And how do you process it to get results? Gotcha. Yeah. There. What's that saying? No man is worthless. They can always be used as a poor example. <laughs> True statement, right? Yeah. You can learn from everybody. You really, you can. I've learned throughout my career by watching the supervisors and leaders that I've worked for. Right. Yeah. Because there, because there is people that I've worked for in, in, in all realms, not just fire service. I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that girl. I'm mm-hmm. not, like, I'm not going to lead that way. They obviously have a very hard time getting anything done. I do not want to be like that. 
And like some of those traits are, you know, being selfish, not valuing, you know, what, what, uh, what your people do, not empowering your people to actually be able to do something like micromanaging them, things like that. Like those are all negative traits that, that, that I see people in all industries that just fail over and over and over again. And, and, and I don't know what you guys think, but I, I think inaction is one of the worst things you can do as a leader, like not acting whatsoever, mm. whether it be, you know, in a stressful situation or one of your employees comes to you and they have something to be done and you're like doing nothing like, right. like that instills zero confidence in people. Even if you don't know what to do or how to approach it, you have to be like, Hey, I don't know. So, you know, there's, there's the humility part of it, but I'm going to find out. Right. And then you actually have to follow up with that. The action, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. got to do it for sure. But I don't know if, 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 if you learned anything, we can kind of jump into the school side of it. We actually rain, uh, Brian and myself, we all have graduated from ASU with the same exact degree, right? I think so. It's a master's in public safety and leadership. What says on your wall there? Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, so so all three of us. So a lot of group thinking this room. Yeah, at different times, I've gone through that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am the most junior guy in here by far. Um, I just recently finished myself up. Rain, you graduated from ASU with a master's in uh, wait. Oh wait, and then Brian, two thousand two. It's actually your fault that I got into that master. So <laughs> I know, yeah. So so a little story. I didn't know Brian very well. I was in uh, we're in Kauai, right? Mm-hmm. So I was I ran a Ragnar on the Big Island, and then went over to Kauai for you know just an extended vacation, and we got in late that night, um, and uh, the next morning we we're getting up to go do a hike, and I'm walking out to the car, and it's early. And I hear Brandon. I'm like, no fucking way. No, there's no way. I am like, so far from home right now. Yeah, I'm like, there's no fucking way. I'm like, so I turn around. I'm like, holy shit, it's Brian Parks. And I'm like, and he's literally the condo above us, right there. I'm like, of all places, dude. So, so we talk. We're like, hey, we're going to hike, blah blah. Like, let's get together and and uh, have a drink or something like that. So Brian and his wife uh, Nancy were gracious enough to take us out to dinner, and uh, and we um, we just got to talking about education this that, and the other. And that program came up and. Brian's like, you know, you should you should think about doing that. I'm like, eh, whatever. Like, like I've gone to school, I've bachelor's already. I don't know about doing that. And then uh, that just kind of stuck in my head. And then I ended up getting into the program. But so 2002, 2008, and then 2019 for me. So how I think my my personal belief is education without application is kind of worthless. But how did the, how did the education piece and even the graduate degree help you become a better manager, leader? supervisor, all that stuff. That's that, that's for both you guys and one of you guys can mm-hmm. take it. Well, let me start by saying this. When I came out of high school, I was a horrible student in high school and, and I was all about goofing off and playing sports. And so when I went I into the Marine, I have a hard time believing that. <laughs> <laughs> when I came, when I uh, went into the Marine Corps, I was like, yeah, this is my jam right here. It's physical. It's fun. It's, you know, all I got to do is go hard and that's rewarded, you know, immensely just right. be engaged and getting after it you were a jarhead dude totally <laughs> totally into it, being a jarhead and so um it wasn't until i met my wife who um her first comment to me was well i came out to arizona or came out to california to go to school and get a degree and she was on her own and she was independent and she was driving in this direction and then we started dating and got married blah 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 and she's like uh, you need to go to school yeah, what's wrong with you and i'm like <laughs> well pff, why would i do that 
And so, you know, once I started taking classes and kind of going down that road, I started realizing there's so much that I don't know. And as a, you know, this just sounds really silly, but as an adult learner, I suddenly began to value the education. And, um, and then I realized it wasn't as hard as, you know, there was an instant reward. You do the work and poof, you get some feedback. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And that's, that kind of started me down that path and it began to open, um, it began to open doors for me in, it, it just academically, I began to understand things better, and, and it, it helped me grow. And then, you know, the school forces you to think a different way. You than, have you have to go yeah. down a different track. You do, and you're right? forced to do it, and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And usually, the people that grow in life become uncomfortable before they can become comfortable. Right? You've got to be uncomfortable. So, yeah. interestingly, I've had a lot of people point, point back and go, "Dude, you're a firefighter. Why, even family members, why do you need to go and get an education?" I'm like, dude, there's a world of things out there that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when you look at the fire service, we work in this in an all hazards environment. And we're surrounded by politics and we're surrounded by people of all different types of demographics. And we're surrounded by hazards that are all different types of spectrum of hazard. Why would I not go and continue to expand my capacity for learning and and, and, and expand my um, my understanding of the world around me? It can only make me – it can only strengthen me. Well, as a, as a potential chief and like, you know, like on the list, like, do you think it's important to be able to communicate effectively? Well, yeah, when, written and verbally, like, when you, you boil know? it down to brass tacks, right? <laughs> right? So even being able to put together a PowerPoint or right. being able to teach a class, right? Like I took, I don't know, public speaking 225 or something like that, right. that, that challenged me and, and helped me, uh, learn how to put together a ta- you know, how to put together a presentation. Right. And that's an important, just a skill set, like a raw skill set that you take away from it. Not to mention just the ability to, to learn how to research and learn how to think differently and, and take different perspectives and all those different things that you exercise when you're in school. All the time and forced, mm-hmm. forced exercise. Yeah, they right? put you into these, these positions where you have to process information yeah i mean i remember writing a paper at some point where they're like take you know take the opposite perspective and i'm like write it one way then you got to come back the next week and write the paper the opposite way you're a fireman you should be able to argue but that's what it was (laughs) all you're doing is arguing right so that's the point so but that's a that's a good practice skill and then being able to learn how to write in a way that conveys your message in an articulate thoughtful well-considered way you know and like that's a that's a practice skill that was your bachelor's right you're talking about or like you're talking about your like your master's as well no just all, yeah all through that whole progression what like, was your bachelor's in uh public administration okay it's right. just because it's pretty narrow track mind. yeah for sure <laughs> but like for me like my bachelor was in computer information systems propeller head spin that thing um that's totally different than like in the mastermind is very project driven wrote a lot of code so like a lot a lot of nerdy stuff but like the master's for me like um, cause that was kind of like my, my tiptoeing and like, yeah, do I want to be a chief doing stuff like that? But like, I got classes in finance, I got classes in, uh, community resiliency operations, HR stuff, like right. all the, like, you know, mapping all this other stuff that you're never going to get, um, unless you go outside of the fire service to get it. So that really like, I'm like, man, like people should, if they want, cause I know other cities, they have, um, standards that if that if you're going to be a bc you have to have a bachelor's and and then if you're going to be a deputy you have to have at least a master's degree to to walk into that thing so there's there are they're like because there is a recognition of like hey maybe if you're going to manage people and run a whole section or a program of you know 100 200 300 people maybe you should have a skill set that backs that up so like you know well you talk about they hand you a uh, you know 
a thousand a budget with thousands and thousands of dollars or millions of yeah, dollars, millions, right? yeah. and they say, okay, go ahead and figure this out. Well, that involves research and development, it involves um, you know budget and finance, it involves stakeholders and relationships, and and being able to commute uh, communicate ideas across industries. Sometimes that's hugely important. Yeah, and you get into there's legal aspects with procurement law and all kinds of other issues where. Where you're, uh, if you don't have that skill set, you can expose the organization to risk because you send one bad email that's part of public record and oh yeah, oops yeah for <laughs> sure. Well, like and there's a way to script stuff and like I feel like because I've only worked for you know our fire department, I feel like education isn't necessarily cherished. It's almost pushed back on. I know the city supports and stuff like that, but there is no real real path for a BC or a deputy chief or like an AC for, for education to kind of get to that point. Brian, like, like, did you decide to get your degrees as well? Just tell us like, like when you got yours and what they're in and all that stuff. Okay. As I progressed to the department, like I said, I started out just an AA degree, a general degree. When I got interested in the fire department, I went back and just got an AA in fire science. Gotcha. So I did that. And after probably about five years, I, I was an engineer starting to think about promoting to captain and I thought it's time to go back to school to do, to, to better myself. That's a weird thought. Why it would you is. Ever think it that? is. So I went Stupid. back and I actually got my bachelor's degree through ASU. It was actually in industrial supervision. Okay. And I wanted to do fire administration. That's the closest they had back then. So a lot of it was just supervising people in the industry, you know, guards on grinders and stuff like that, right. safety, that type of stuff. And that really set me up for my background in safety that I did throughout the department. Gotcha. Just the interest in that. But I think... Coming in, the education part, I think of the fire department, we relied a lot on training. And most of the training has to do with ha- something happened in the past. Mm-hmm. We train because they have to be ready for this if that happens. Where education, actually, I think you're getting the knowledge for the future. Right. How do you plan ahead? How do you forecast? A lot of it is, you know, working with people. I had a chance to do a year assignment over at the water department. And Did I you was, supervise Dave Nunez? <laughs> no, it's before Dave Nunez, but, but they actually put me in charge of their safety program. Okay. And that Which was they an, need. That was an interesting time because Tammy Perkin was the Acton Water Director. She grew up in the city system. And to see her political map people, mm-hmm. okay, this is the issue we have to deal with. This, this is what we need to say. This is how we need to approach this. This is who we need to go to. This is what that person's going to say. This is what he's going to write. She knew all that. Yeah, that's, pretty, so that, that's to, a skill for I sure. learned so much from her just in that yeah. you know, that time, watching her go into a meeting. This is what I'm going to say, and this is, he's going to say this, he's going to say this. She knew the players. She knew the players, yeah. and that's part of it. You know, Being successful in a career is knowing the players, having the resources, know go to, to who to go to when you need something. Right. We actually were working on a project where they had like 30 vendors or 30 different fire hydrants in the city. And we were trying to get it down to seven just so they couldn't manage the repairs at all. So we had to go to neighborhood services. We actually ended up with a home builders association. We had a whole realm of people that we had to deal with. And being able to connect with those people, know who who to go to and how we need to convince them to do it. It was pretty interesting. Right. But, yeah, my bachelor's, like I said, was industrial supervision. And then as I started promoting on the department, I thought, well, it's time to go back for a, a master's degree. And I did that probably at a bad time in my life. My kids were teenagers. Mm-hmm. I was coaching their teams, trying to be involved as I could. Right. It stretched me thin. It about killed me. I was up till 2 or 3 every morning writing papers and studying. Yeah. But the stuff I got out of it, just I think it really helped me in my career. I didn't promote to a fire chief, and I really don't have a desire to. I think my career was very successful based on what I learned through my education. As far as a lot of it is just life skills. How do you deal with people? How do you communicate with people? 
How do you get the organization moved? I think coming in and being a leader, it's not your agenda. You need to know what the city or what the department you're working for, what is their mission? Right. And then your goals need to match up with that mission. You need to be pointing in one direction, but you might have one section that you're supervising. You can only affect a little area. You can't affect everything. So you got to realize, what do I have control of? That is what I need to take control of. And that's what I need to work on. Right. But I actually need to work on that area to move it along with the mission of the department. And, and, and going for that, like, like the master's degree, like if you've never worked in personnel or you've never worked in HR and you don't have any background, <laughs> zero, not even a book that you can like refer back to or understand, like what you're just stumbling through stuff. And I think that's why in a lot of industries um, they, they just keep recreating the wheel, same thing over and yeah. over and over again. And nothing ever changes because they don't like no one ever knows like what the hell's going on. Like, um, were you were you one of the, were you one of few people that had a master's degree when you became a, D, uh, a deputy chief, or was was there a lot of people? Uh, well, one of few. There there were several others that had master's degrees. Some people went and got the um, executive fire officer through the National Fire Academy. Okay, which is a good one too, yeah. from what I hear. But but I I think you know it was a personal goal of my my own my own is kind of why I did it, and it was something you kind of look at raising kids, you're managing that company at home. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. I think my kids saw what I went through to get my master's. My wife actually got her master's after mine, and I got three kids. All they all have master's degrees. Oh wow! And they all went that direction. Our expectation with raising our kids was you have to have at least a bachelor's degree before you're done with school, and they all went into fields where they actually needed master's. A degrees. family so, standard. Of yeah. You have to have that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to have standards, right? You do. Yeah, to be able to get there. Yeah, I don't know. Because in corporate America, a director would basically be probably the same level as a deputy chief in like, like in the fire service. And most of those, most if not every single one of them have at least a master's degree to be able to run that group of people. And I think, go ahead, Ray. Well, and LC, not to pick on the fire service necessarily, but if you look at your counterparts in the city, uh-huh. they've got graduate degrees. Really? So at yeah. that deputy level across the city. Really? Absolutely. So I believe there is an, there's, there's been a push over the years, you know, it, it meets a lot of resistance, but they're, they're pushing toward education and the fire service at, at large is pushing toward education, but there's all, there was always a, a lack of availability of programs. And that's, I think, as education is getting online. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it now. It seems like it's sprouting a lot. And right. the availability is there. The, excuse, the excuses are going away. Right. Um, now we just need organizations to say, hey, listen, this is a value and, um, and, the, and an expectation, you know. And so, some people, I think, are afraid of education. Like, they don't want to do it. They don't have the time. Like, you told me a story about um, how someone came to you and, <laughs> and, and said, um, I'm probably going to screw the story up, about how how did you become so good on the administrative side of, of being a chief, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's the story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you're like, I went to school. I did this. I did that. And their reaction was, well, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to go to school. Like, like why, why, why wouldn't you want to be better? Like, you had talked about off the job, who you surround yourself with. Is, you'll be that average, right? And, 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 and a lot of these podcasts, talking to people in, in other industries, whether it be football or BMX racing or stuff like that, uh, like a common thing is surround yourself with people that are better than you are. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Raise that talent level up and then you, and then you will naturally raise your game to mm-hmm. the level of what they're at. I wish um, we could have more people with that mentality. Like, 
to, to put themselves into that situation of being uncomfortable because it's not it's not comfortable. Nobody no. wants to be up at two in the morning, like writing a paper. I know for me, like I ran a little thin, too, when I was writing, you know, basically the the applied project or the thesis. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, this is a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, when you're on a truck, you're on a construction company, you're trying to, you know, work work your fitness into stuff and 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 do that it's not fun but on the other side of it there's so much more reward to it i think too from what i've seen like i have guys and i'm sure it's the same thing with you guys they call me like oh man like i like like i heard that you just got your masters and why and how come and like people want to do it um but it's an internal calling but i think we could raise the bar of the fire service in general is if we had a standard for, mm-hmm. you know, whatever battalion chief or deputy chief or assistant chief, stuff like that. I know that there's been chiefs that have left our fire department that have tried to go somewhere else and become a chief and a lack of education has limited them from even being able to apply. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, that, that's, I think that's, that's saying something, but it's not at the same time. Do you see that ever changing in the next five or 10 years or anything like that? Well, I, I can say this. I know that in the current chief officer process, um, in our organization, you have to have a minimum, and this sounds like a super low bar, but it's a start, right? A minimum of thirty credit hours to even to even apply. Once you get that, like in the like going through the academy, you should pretty much have that. Yeah, like because yeah, because they give you those, those education credits now. But and the rumor that I heard, and this is total rumor, so don't go spreading this around. Only <laughs> thousands of people here. It's a no matter. But the rumor is that the uh, the chief has put a, a mandate out that once you get promoted or you have a window of time that you have to accomplish your bachelor's. Yeah. And that that's common too in, mm-hmm. in corporate America. Well, and that's a great starting point. If we yeah. say like, this is the deal we're going to, this is going to become mandatory. If at this point, from this point forward, you have to have a bachelor's degree or you have to be pursuing it right. by, and you have to complete it by this timetable. Yeah. That's like a, that, to me, that is a very reasonable mm-hmm. thing to do in a way to weave it in. So, and they're paying for it. And, and there's, <laughs> exactly. yeah. there's no financial burden yeah. for you. It's like, Oh yeah, just do it. Yeah. So my point in saying that is I, I do feel like there is some push toward it, whether we'll, you know, whether that's real or not, or it's just a rumor, like I said, I don't know. Um, but it does feel like there's people who are working on it. We have, you know, every time I turn around, I, I see a different chief officer, a different captain who's going to school and trying to pursue some education. So I feel like people are beginning to wrap their minds around it and beginning to head down that path. Right. So that's for, good. I, I don't know, like, the thing I've heard from the past, like, when I was going through the camps, like, that's like, oh, we're hiring all these smart guys with college degrees, stuff like that. It's like, don't think that someone's smart just because they have a college degree. Some of the yeah. dumbest people I know have college degrees. Hey, man, yeah. School is just a process. For so sure. if you're willing to get in the process and just kind of and motor through and just kind of put your head down and work, 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 work and do the work. Right. Yeah. You can end up on the other side with a degree. Yeah. Absolutely. You may not have learned anything. No, yeah. Hopefully you do, though. Well, I mean, and there's other things that, that that come with it. Even if you don't really learn anything, you learn how to manage your time. You learn how to delegate things. You learn how to prioritize stuff. Like, even without the master's degree, like the bachelor's degree for the construction company has helped me. I, I was, you know, I was a software engineer, but all those things were being able to be relatable. Anytime you're a chief and you're behind a computer, you should probably be able that's your tool at that point, right? Your Your keyboard... Your, your CPU, your pencil, your paper, your mouth, those are now your tools. Like if you can't, you know, hone those mm-hmm. t- tools or actually refine those skills, then what good are you out there? So 
I think an application for education that is really interesting and super contemporary. What the class I said I went to earlier, the photo. What was that again? Photovoltaics. Flux capacitor was it? Exactly. <laughs> so talking about these battery energy storage systems, right? So recently in our neck of the woods, we had a massive uh, failure on a call, and um, some guys got hurt really. Talk about the Peoria dudes. Mm-hmm, the Peoria, yeah. the explosion yeah. on the battery storage unit. So that when we look at the call, they did everything exactly right. And yet there was still a failure, which basically indicates that there is something that we don't know about what took place. And the folks from APS had no idea. And I'm not sure, you know, uh, all the other experts were like, wow, we we don't understand what happened because everything went right. So now people are turning their attention toward research and studying and trying to figure out what's going on. Well, without education, you're, you're limited in your ability to do that stuff. And it, you know, looking at research studies and stuff and being able to extract information out of there, um, you know, you were challenged at best without having some practice and skill in that area. So For sure. That's where, you know, to me, I see some direct application of what we're doing when you talk about hazard zone management and understanding hazard zones. And then being able to write SOPs that um, that accurately reflect what the hazard is and how we can mitigate it appropriately, et cetera. And, you know, creating documents that are, you know, that make good sense and are, are uh, utilizing the skill sets that we have and are, are applied appropriately. Yeah, I know. I agree with you 100%. Like, uh, when, with my thesis, I went through it and I looked at some driver safety stuff or, or whatever. And, and the fire department is not any different than, than, than corporate America. Cause I'm like, I'm reading this thing and I'm like, Hey, there's, it's called an SOP. I'm like, all right, this is not really an SOP. Cause there's seven policies in here and eight procedures. I'm like, but you know, on the other hand, um, uh, a friend of mine went in uh, to work for a major f- uh, financial institution, and her job was to go. Th- part of her job was to go through and look at what was truly a policy and what was was truly a procedure, and you know, split those up and and recraft them. But if you don't have that background and you don't know, you don't know what a mission statement is, the difference between those things. Like, how are you ever going to get to that document? And as I, I was just curious. I'm like, I want to go through the rest of these, and they're all very similar, like that. They're 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 written in in clear you know plain English that gets the point across, but there's a level of professionalism that's lacking for sure. And 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 there's and and when I'll take this from Chris Stewart, when everything's important, nothing's important. So you have all this stuff in one SOP that isn't necessarily you know it doesn't get the exposure that it needs because there's too many things in there. And and then, and then how do you actually hold accountability? to that policy or to that procedure when there isn't anything really associated with it. And like, those are the business things. Like let's, let's be honest. Like the fire department is a business. There are departments that have to be ran like a business. There's a budget, there's personnel stuff, there's hiring stuff, there's all that stuff. It's like, and if you don't have those innate skills or abilities to do that, like how do you make that group any better? Or how do you, you know, actually run that, that section, that program or that, um, that department in a very, you know, good way. I don't know how you do it without, unless you have a great mentor yeah, or, you know, great documentation, but I don't know if like, you know, how that's a, just kind of roll the dice thing. Yeah. I think there's a handful of people who can make it happen just with the, 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 the skills they were born with right. and the rest of us need to go to school. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Like yeah. Chris Stewart's one of those guys. Like I always thought Chris had a college degree because when you talk to the guy and the way he runs something and the way they, that he sets stuff up, you're like. I, and when I asked him, he's like, no, I'm like, dude, you're, you're, you're the exception for sure. Yeah. Stuff like that. So, but. Yeah, I think uh, it's all a combination of training, education, and experience. 
yep. and life skills stuff more than anything else too. You, you, need, you need a balance of all that stuff to be successful. Right. Do you, I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't, I think you guys are more involved in the fire service than I am outside like our department. Do you see in other cities or even the, uh, National Fire Academy, do they, do they have a curriculum with steps and specific ways or classes and things to get to to get to where they want to be? I don't know. Who's they? They, like <laughs> other departments or, or stuff like that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Other like, departments have education requirements to get where they want to be. And uh, National Fire Academy has right. a curriculum, the executive fire officer, and they, they have some steps for the formal education. It's more certifications. Gotcha. Not degrees, but. Yeah, there's there's a lot of organizations that, um, I mean, even in the Valley where they say before you can take a captain's process, you need to have had at least these set of classes. Right. Right. So they want you to have a kind of a targeted series mm-hmm. of educational experiences right. to help facilitate your, you know, your growth in that job, in that position or what have you. Um, Which I think makes sense, and it, like in any industry, and I'm not going to just, you know, uh, you know, the fire department's awesome, fire service is awesome, but like in corporate America or even here, like at the construction company, the guys that want to become superintendents and stuff like that, we have an expectation of education or a cert that they have to have. So um, if you're not willing to put in the time for that, then you can't do that. And 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 if you don't want to put in that time, I'm I'm 100 okay with that. Like. But if you want to get better, if you want to be a professional, if you want to learn how to become better, then you're going to have to go outside your normal, you know, eight to five, nine to five job and do something more to prove to us that you really want to do it. You know what I mean? Because then uh, I, I just think it makes the barrier into being a captain or a chief way too easy because 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 uh, you may get someone in there that it was a great engineer or um, a great captain, but they're lacking that other side that's going to make them a good battalion chief or deputy chief, you know, over personnel or something like that. Yeah, you hear that a lot, too, from people. You know, I did this. I got through this career and I didn't need my education. Right. But you look at the people that did good. What would they have been if they had that education? Right. You know, would it add so much to more the way they think about things, the way they look at things, the way they process information, the way they react and make decisions? Right. It's based on the education you have. Well, then I think, you know, being in that school format, even the online thing, like there's a certain way that, that that you'll run a meeting or have an agenda for a meeting or, you know, things like the, all those little tiny things that actually make a difference. You'll learn those things through a bachelor's degree. And like I would encourage people that that, that wanted to do anything, if like you want to own your own business, if you want to, you know, promote uh, through anything in the fire service or even in the military, um, you know, to get some type of business background, whether it be a management degree or or something like that. And then if you want to get a master's degree in like in something more specific. But if, but if you want to run at the top, you're going to have to have some type of broad knowledge of, of how the business machine works. And, and whether it be in the public sector or the private sector at all, it's all very similar. It's not all the same. Um, I would say the private sector is a lot more cutthroat than the than the uh, public then the public sector, like there's not, you know, riffs and, and layoffs and, and stuff like that. But like, I would definitely encourage people that if, that if you want to get through and become better and become a better leader, manager, supervisor, get some education underneath your belt. And I'm not saying that it's, that it's, that it's the end all be all, but it will make you better. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've heard the comment what people will say, um, you know, I've worked on busy trucks, but what does that even mean? Right. You've been busy. I picked up a lot of homeless people. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. So busy is different things <laughs> yeah, depending on where sure. you are, right? And yeah. that and so but but you can have, you know, this this one year of experience repeated over 20 years. Right. You know, did you really expand yourself and gain true, you know, other capacity? Right. Being on a busy truck in and of itself doesn't necessarily prepare you for any other anything else at all. You know, put someone into a staff position in any kind of sh- type of staff position, and they're going to struggle with. You've seen things. those guys struggle too. I've seen Absolutely. those guys and girls struggle Absolutely. too. And that's why yeah. I say that because you know, you hear so many people say, "Well, I've been, I've worked on busy trucks, and therefore I should be a captain." Okay, what's your leadership philosophy? Yeah, and have you ever even given thought to what leadership looks like? You know, broadly, and I think if you if you study leadership and you you pay attention to it, you recognize there's lots of different types of styles of right. leadership. Some are effective. Some may fit your personality better, and and Having studied it, you can truly learn a little bit more about who you are as a leader, and then you're you're being more deliberate in what you do every day. You're yeah. not just showing up and, and doing it. Um, and you know, like education doesn't does have to be a degree. Maybe it's reading a leadership book or a couple leadership books right. or stuff like that. But for me now as a captain, but even as an engineer or whatever, it's like I think going to school allows you because you know how to learn. Therefore, when you have to teach somebody something you're able to break things down and teach or mentor or coach someone into a better position because you've been down that road and you've done it so many times. Yeah. I think it just makes you better as a leader as well. So, but I don't know. Obviously we're fans of education. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and going through the education process, you get all the, the, the knowledge you gain through it, but you also get resources and you get people that you're connected with. You do. People yeah. that have been through the same. I have people that I can call it. I went to college with. And I can ask some questions. I have two friends that were actually fire chiefs in other fire departments. They've right. always been a resource for me. Right. It's just somebody else has been through the process with me. We've been together. And like you said, education is a process. It needs to be lifelong. I think we need to learn throughout our lives, throughout our careers. And we need to look at both getting better both personally and professionally. Yeah. I think when people understand that at every promotion or every step in your career, corporate, military, whatever, there's a different skill set that has to be honed and picked up. And just, as you, unfortunately, as you get farther up that management chain, your skill set becomes, you know, more cerebral versus tactical. I mean, if if you're in, if you're in operations, different story. But if you're in HR or, or, or finance or, or stuff like that, you're not, it's not a tactical realm anymore. Not like, at all. like all those things that, that apply on the fire ground might you know, one of those things might apply behind the desk. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I think because you can be great tactically and a total horrible personnel chief, right? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting too is that even in an operations position, you still have personnel things that you need to be considering. And I think that going and getting this academic level of of education and experience, you, it broadens your, um, your perspective. So mm-hmm. when you start talking about like risk management, you talk about, well, behavior at a firehouse, what does that look like? Or, you know, personnel management, personnel issues. Right. Well, the more you understand about the the broader implications of risk and, and, and how guys can get into le- guys and gals can get into legal troubles with things that they're doing, it seems totally innocuous. But the more, the more you read and study and expand, you realize, well, there's, there's a lot more going on here. And it's not just, you know, um, uh, a threat to that individual, it's a threat to the organization, right? right? And they're putting, and we are stewards of, of, of the public's dollars, et cetera. And, and we're putting that at risk. And so being a tactician is one thing. Understanding personnel matters is another area that you need to grow and expand in. So it's very, 
it's very diverse and broad what you need to be capable of doing. And kind of going back to what you're saying, Brian, like you have to know how to deal with people. And in education, there's no rank, uh, whether it be the military or public service or or you, there's no boss. Like you're going to get into a group and do some group group work with people that you may not necessarily enjoy to be around like like all the time. Yeah. But you're going to have to figure out how to um, work effectively as a team and as a group and make sure everybody's voice is heard and make sure that the mission or whatever task is being accomplished because you just came back, I'm not going to do this and just leave. Like the, your, your, your whole grade is based off of that group work. I think it forces you in, in, in business, in the fire service, and in the military. It's like, hey, it's a common goal. I may not really enjoy your company like outside of here, but right now we're on the same team with the same mission, the same goal. And that has to be accomplished. And we can disagree in this room and not necessarily get along. And I might think you're completely dumb or you might think I'm totally retarded, whatever that is. But, you know, we're going to work together to get to that goal. And then after we leave, it's going to be fine. And at the end of the day, because we've all worked with people like that, whether it be in school or, or in our jobs, it's like, you know what? Brand is not so bad of a guy. I thought he was a total asshole, but he's actually okay. So I've never heard anybody say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Liar. So, but but yeah. So 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 it just forces you to be able to uh, further focus those interpersonal skills when you are in a group because everything we do in in the fire service, do we can't go to the bathroom by ourselves, right? It's like everything's in groups of four, groups of two, or there's this or whatever. Like you are you are intimately tied to your brothers and sisters in basically everything that you do. So so. That's another, I think, aspect that you get from school, mm -hmm. for sure. And, like, nationalities. And just, like, it's a big, huge melting pot. Yeah. I so, know. but, yeah. Well, I think we're getting close to, to time. Like, I would, I'd like you guys just to kind of give feedback or not give feedback, but just give some advice that anyone, whether it be in the military, in corporate America, or in the, in the fire service, things that you would pass on to them if they want to become a leader, supervisor, captain, chief, whatever. I'll... I'll I'll start with you since you're the youngest one out of you and Brian Rain, and then okay. I'll let Brian Brian finish it off. So there's a lesson I learned that I picked up uh, as a young Marine that I've carried with me and reflected on a lot over the years. So when I was 21 years old, I got promoted to corporal, and I was given a multi-million dollar tank, and I was given a crew of three people um, to staff that tank, and I was essentially responsible for their uh, for their training and for uh, making sure they were at formation on time and that they went out to, you know, went out to the field on time and had all their equipment with them and all those little details that went along with it. And as a 21 year old, I didn't really understand the, the full depth and breadth of those, of, the, of that responsibility. And as I reflected on it over the years, I started to realize that the responsibility of, of uh, leadership in that capacity is, um, is not only to those individuals, but it's to their family, it's to their to their brothers and sisters in the in the Marine Corps, it's to the community at large who looks to their you know looks to the the military to provide you know safety and security in the, in our nation. And as I you know grew up in the uh, and transitioned in the fire department, I started realizing the role of a, of a leader here is is similar. Your job is to take care of the men and women who are are doing the job, and that your stewardship of those people is to make sure they have everything they need to be successful. And that means 
you know, their, their, their home life is good to go. They're, they have all the job knowledge, skills, and abilities they, they, they require to be able to perform the mission. And then that you as a supervisor provide the appropriate oversight and that you are very present and engaged and able to, um, figure out where the gaps are so that nobody gets hurt, killed or injured or what have you. Right. Right. So, and that responsibility extends to that individual. But like I said, to their family and to the community and to the city management, et cetera. So to me, the, the weight of that, um, some people don't acknowledge how important and how weighty that is. Um, so the lesson for me and that I would share with anybody is that you really need to recognize how important that role is and take it very seriously and be very deliberate and engaged in what you're doing because because you have human beings on the receiving end of that who you're responsible for and the 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 paperwork and the silly stuff and the TPS reports if you you know yeah where's my red stapler <laughs> <laughs> those things are merely interesting it's about the human beings that are that are at work and that are coming to work to make a living and can we make this a valuable place for them and keep them safe and healthy and productive and moving forward in their careers and 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 how would you counsel them to get to that point through like you know multiple scenarios Go to the military, get a high school <laughs> well, education. I'm, tell, I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Just look at these people and value them. It's right. it, This is going to sound really weird. You've got to learn to love your people. And you you have to value them and, and put your heart out there a little bit. Be a little bit vulnerable. And, and, and sometimes it requires telling these people, hey, listen, man, I, I am listening to you. I am present for you. I am. I am, my job here is to knock down doors and, and get, get rid of barriers and, and give them, give of yourself, right? The other thing that I picked up in the Marine Corps was leaders eat last. Oh, for sure. That's right? a good book, right? So there's a great, that great yeah, book. Simon Sinek has a great book. Yep. And so putting the needs of your, of your folks ahead of your own is incredibly important way to demonstrate how important and valuable they are. Um, but you have to believe it. You can't just fake the funk. You can't just say this is happening. You truly have to buy off on it. Um, and if you don't, you're going to struggle. And, you're, and your people are going to see that you don't really care. And uh, that's going to be very transparent and, and obvious. Well said, my brother. I like it. What do you got, Brian? I'm not going to talk as long as Rain did, though. Sorry. Yeah, to Rain. <laughs> I can't help myself. Rain always has lots yeah. of words. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of look at, at leadership and what it does. Leadership actually drives the culture of the department. If you look at the culture, what do we stand for? Why are we here as a fire service? We're here to take care of the external customers, but we're here also to take care of the internal customers. So you look at the culture, and the culture actually drives your decision-making and your behavior. Yep. So you look at that. How do we behave? How do we treat each other? And I think being a leader is instill that in the people that are with you, that we need to treat each other all the same, treat them all well, take care of each other, realize people have stuff going on in their lives, you, you never know what's going on in a person's life until you actually get to connect with them. And I think the, the biggest thing is being able to develop relationships with the people. But when we talk about decision and making a behavior, that actually drives the results we have. So I kind of look at going through leading is to be there for your people, know what's going on over them, be part of their life, care about them. I think getting the trust of people and developing the trust is actually getting the relationship with them. So you have a good relationship with them. They know you care about them. They're going to trust you. When you get the trust, that's where you're going to be effective. Absolutely. So you got to get, and I think we need to do this every day. We need to look at how do we professionally 
and personally keep on bettering ourselves. And it's maybe just taking 10, 15 minutes every day to look at what can I do personally to make myself a better person, to be more receptive of people, to be non-judgmental, and to be there as a, as a resource for them. Whether you're working or retired, it's the same thing. Everything we do revolves around relationships. Absolutely. And not having the, the better relationships you have with people and the more people, the more successful you're going to be in life. I agree. Well said. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff got said today. I think the things that come through in, in these podcasts over and over and over, they're all kind of the same things. You guys are both you know, public safety guys at, at different, different levels, but accountability, being a good listener, being competent in your skills, looking out after your people, valuing what they do, empowering people, um, having trust and integrity, um, being able to apologize to people. You know, when you when you screw things up, surrounding yourself with higher talent. These are the things that have, that have come across from NFL guys to pro BMX guys to rest, restaurateurs. I almost screwed that up. I think I did already. <laughs> like all those things, all these skills are 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 uh translate into other industries and like all like all those skills no matter if you're a fire captain or or a chief or um, a small business owner stuff like that if you have this skill set and you practice these things they're all going to come through and i like i'm going to back it up with you guys i'm going to back up what you guys are saying like i believe in everything that you guys just said but i also believe in that you can't get to those words and to those actions without actually putting yourself into uncomfortable situations, whether it be leading or going to the military or going to college or taking a certification class or, you know, starting a new sport like jujitsu or something like that, putting yourself in, in an uncomfortable spot. I think the more competent that you can be, I think when, when people and when leaders and supervisors can get into the realm of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, then that makes a better environment for everybody. There, there's a great saying out there. It's Simon Sinek that, that I love and I'll like I'll end on this it's a, it goes like this so goes the leader so goes the culture so goes the company so if, if you're a leader in any company any, any industry you set the tone for the culture and if you're setting a, a poor tone shame on you have integrity have trust back your people listen to your people do those kind of things so that's kind of it like so we talked I knew we were going to talk a lot about education and leadership today because these are definitely the guys that talk about it so rain where can people find you on, on, on social media? And Rain also has a podcast, which I forget what the I name do. of it is. But you're going to plug all that shit right now. So I can be found at Rain Gray, which is R-A-Y-N-E-G-R-A-Y, at firegroundfitness.com. That's my email. And then uh, on Instagram, the podcast – sorry, on Instagram, it's just at firegroundfitness. And um, the podcast is by the same name. No, uh, no surprise there. It's uh, the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Okay, gotcha. And – that can be found anywhere good podcasts are located. Okay, so you won't find this one on on, on those, but <laughs> it's that. on Apple, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Over, Overcast, whatever the heck they all call. I can't even remember, but all those different platforms carry it. And and Rain's a guy that if you want to reach out to him for advice, you know, input stuff right. like that. Yeah, he he will definitely uh, offer that up to anyone that that that's looking for. Brian, if, if someone if someone wants to get a hold of you, they find you on Facebook or how, how can they find you? Uh, on Facebook. Okay. Uh, email address to brianparks482 at cox.net. Okay. Yeah, these guys are and I. <laughs> good, guy, good guys to know and good guys to bounce things off if you need anything. As always, you can find us at, at Make the Difference Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, there's also our website. Um, you can also uh, give us any review that you'd like on anywhere that you can download this podcast. Please give me feedback, uh, what you want to hear, what you don't like, uh, let me have it. So 
that's it for episode seven, guys. Uh, Rain Gray, Brian Parks. Thanks, guys. Love Thank you. Thank you. Hey, that's all we got for today. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, get yourself over to Apple Podcast, rate and review the podcast. Get yourself over to Make the Difference Podcast. Give a listen over there. You're truly going to enjoy it. Lessons learned in this podcast. Leadership, it's important. You dig in. Education, it's important. The knowledge, skills, and abilities that you develop throughout your lifetime are important. So go and continue to expand your brain. Continue to expand your experiences. Continue to find practical applications for the work that you're doing, for the learning that you're gaining, the knowledge that you have in your head, and find ways to apply it in the world. Now, go on out there and get some.